What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into this episode with Brandon Yoakum, my mastering engineer and owner-operator of Epiphany Recording Studio, I just want to take a brief second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. One of my favorite things that Houghton Horns offers the music community is actually their huge library of music education resources. They got their start teaching lessons and repairing instruments for school band programs, so it's no surprise why they have such an emphasis on creating high-quality content for music students to learn from. Whether they are creating books for beginners to learn from or producing content on their YouTube channel, supporting Houghton Horns is synonymous with supporting music education. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on this episode, I have with me a very good friend of mine, Brandon Yoakum, who is the mastering engineer for my podcast. I've said his name now 101 times, and we all know nothing about him. Well, I know a lot about him, but you guys know nothing about him. So I thought it would be interesting to bring him in to allow you guys to kind of get to know the man behind the screen, so to speak to be able to hear some projects and some uh, ideas that he has that I think are very interesting and um, things that you guys might be interested in as well. And also just to kind of, I don't know, share some stuff about our friendship and maybe we'll learn some stuff about me along the way. So first of all, Branch, I really appreciate you being willing to come on my show and chat with me for a little bit. Uh, it is my pleasure, Ranch. Uh and thanks for calling me Branch, by the way. Yeah, you get that's that's a that's a good story in and of itself. Yeah, Brandon and I, through all time, have given each other nicknames like Branch and Marlon Brando, and I think Branched and Jackstrap was one for a while. Oh yeah, you called me a necromancer one time. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of it's a bit of an inside joke, but now you all know about it. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> it's also one I don't think we can explain. So we're just going to leave it at that. I think there's no explanation. At any rate, um, I, I think it'll be best if we kind of just get a sense of, I mean, Brandon and I grew up a mile from each other. So um, uh, there's a lot of intertwining. So maybe we'll come up with some funny stories and stuff like that. But I just think you telling us a little bit about you as a human being, growing up where you grew up, school interests you had, obviously uh, getting into some of the audio side of things, maybe when you started experimenting and learning about that and just how you progressed through there. Yeah. So like you said, um, <clears throat> we grew up a mile from each other in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, and the so the first... 
real memory that I have of getting into audio in Lincoln is uh, actually on my website. It's a, a story about how my brother and I and my family used to watch that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? With yeah. Regis Philbin on ABC. And um, I don't know, we loved that show for whatever reason. And we wanted to like make our own episodes of it. And so we would go downstairs to the only PC that we had in the house at the time and just pull up like Windows media recorder, you know, just that crappy little Windows program that would just record audio and that was it. And there was, you know, like a microphone attached to the PC or, you know, it, in the, the housing of the PC, just like a little, another little crappy thing. The whole setup was super crappy. <laughs> and... uh we would just, you know, riff on the format of who wants to be a millionaire. You know, I would usually play Regis and my brother would play some goofy guest and we'd try and really just be goofy with it. Yeah. And, and you know, but it, we, we just wanted to make, uh, make stuff that was fun for us to make. Um, and... Yeah, I think from there, it, I I sort of discovered that I had um, an ear for audio editing. I remember doing a lot of audio editing, like with you. We would go down to that same PC. Um, this was a few years later uh, when I had Cakewalk Music Creator. Yeah, and uh, we would just pull in like whatever we could find <laughs> yeah. and try and and make stuff with it. I think like we used a... that program to its maximum extent. Like what it was <laughs> capable of, we found all of it. Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, that was all we had, you know? So like, that's, that's what we did. That was like part of our after school, uh, activities. Yeah. It's interesting to think back. I remember recording some guitar stuff where we, well, I had just gotten that H2 zoom recorder where you could record on both sides. And yeah. so we set it up right in the middle of us and that that's how we, you know, we still had to one take everything. We couldn't like, you know, piece it together and, and, and punch stuff in, but yeah, I remember we had a lot of experience in you specifically, obviously, because you were the one doing all the putting it together, but just a lot of like casual experience learning how to use these kinds of uh, softwares. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was really fortunate too to have you as a friend because you were definitely better at like music performance at the time. Um and so I had like a great just a great subject to record with me all the time, you know, and I was obviously trying to keep up on like guitar and uh, having good intonation and sounding good and everything. But um, yeah, we came up with some pretty good, pretty good stuff, the two of us. Um, yeah, I remember too, like, I remember one name was like Song Day Complex because we just wrote something that was hard for the sake of hard <laughs> and then we named it that. Like, it's just funny, yeah, to think back to those times, but realize that we were just goofing around, you know, but we were getting our reps in. You were getting your reps in for what would eventually become where you are now, you know, and you don't think about it that way, right? You don't think like, I am doing this so I can become an audio engineer someday. But it's funny how those experiences do contribute. Yeah, because at the time, you're, you're right. I was not thinking that I wanted to be an audio engineer. I knew that I wanted to do something with music throughout my life, you know, but I didn't know. In Lincoln, there was nobody was ever talking about a career in that kind of thing. You know, like we have maybe one recording studio in Lincoln. Maybe there's more now. I don't know. But, and there's no, there's no industry there for it. There's no, you know, it's, it's all ag in Nebraska or, you know, you go work for the government or the university or 
I don't know. I don't know what people in Nebraska do anymore, Ryan. Yeah, I don't either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I I remember at the time I wanted to be like an aerospace engineer, you know, something totally different, and that obviously didn't pan out. But um, it, I definitely stayed interested in it because I remember I took a um, a class in high school. It was it, they called it music theory, but it was really like sit down with GarageBand and play with stuff for an hour during the day. I mean, like, you know, there were assignments and whatnot, but it, it, I think because of what we had already been doing together, it was like the easiest class in the world because I could do the assignment and then just spend the rest of the class messing around. Um, and that was where I, you know, I, I learned a lot about like uh, how to get the sound of a guitar into a computer um, cleanly and um, effectively, you know, because that that's a different process on PC and Mac, um, or it was it was a, a wildly different process back then. Anyway, you know, Macs came with a, like a dedicated audio card that you could just plug stuff into, and it was super easy. And then you had to like buy an audio card for a PC, and um, that was a whole process learning that. Um, but do you remember what uh, projects? I'm trying to think back to what projects. I know you recorded a full-length album with your band, uh, Ivy Garden. <laughs> yeah, I love talking oh. about Ivy Garden. But even before, <clears throat> and that was like that's a great product, right? So, but you had had a ton of practice before that. So I know you did something for our ska band that we were in. I remember that project. That's fun to remember. You did yeah. stuff. Did you do stuff for your band, Mendacious Appearance, as well? Uh, yes. Um, okay. So there's a lot of stories yeah, wrapped up in all let's that. Let's do it. Um, so <laughs> the first one, if we're going in chronological order, would have been when we were both in that ska band, Tafba. Totally awesome fun band. That's right. Yeah. Tafba. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I remember we recorded in our singer slash guitar player's bedroom. Blake Salem. We we recorded in his bedroom and put mattresses up yeah, in the room. I remember that. And um used that for like saxophone sounds. Um at the time, uh I I remember recording our drummer like over and over again because we didn't have the ability to send him a click track to his headphones. And so he would keep getting like faster and slower if he played more than like four or five measures. And so I'd be like, "All right, Eric, we're gonna play this me this singular measure of the song," <laughs> and we would do that and then stop. And I'd be like, "All right, that's like measure you know fifteen. Now we're gonna move on to measure sixteen, and you're gonna <laughs> just like play like you're continuing on from measure fifteen. Yeah, it was it was terrible, but I mean, we did get a finished product out of that one, um, and. I never used that technique again. Can we pause real quick? Yeah. I wish I had more coffee. Maybe I do. Warm it up. Yeah, I remember very vividly that recording session, putting Eric in a makeshift drum cage made out of mattresses. And I I do remember, though, for the amount of, like, what are we doing? 
we still came out with something that like we could listen to and enjoy. It wasn't professional level by any means, but it's amazing that at least in my mind, maybe you could speak to this. In my mind, like understanding the principles of why you would do certain things is much more important than the equipment that you have access to. Like equipment is very important, but knowing like why you would deaden sound and how you would do that or how you're going to record and where to put the microphones can create that's like what creates the thing, not necessarily just gear itself. I don't know if you have any thoughts yeah, on this. Yeah. Well, that's where the engineering comes in, right? Like we did we did almost zero engineering on on that project it was just it was just like throw up the microphones and see what we get and we you know i guess we did do a little bit with the the mattresses and that could technically be considered engineering but that's you know it's what i've come to learn is that in the field of audio production and music production like the the engineering is its its own huge realm and it's one of those realms where it's <clears throat> like truly the more that i the more that i learn in that in that direction of audio engineering the more i find out that i don't know um and it's 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 a really humbling experience like trying to perfect my craft through better engineering because there's always something new to learn and something that i could be doing better than i'm doing now um okay can we can we stop on this real quick sorry to interrupt you yeah. but i would love your feedback on this like I'm learning about video production right now, right? Mm -hmm. And lighting and things like that. And what I notice, and and I'm sure I felt this way in the trumpet at some point, but it was like a length of time ago that I can't really connect with this feeling as much as I can with this video production. Where basically when I learn more, I learn what I don't know, but also my standard goes up because <clears throat> I have learned more. And I find it to be really easy because my skills are not de as developed as maybe they will be in a year or five years from now. I find it really easy to say, I know what's possible for me to do, but because I can't do it every time, it's significantly easier to beat myself up than it was when I didn't know anything. Because like the standard raised and now I'm like, oh my gosh, like look at all these things I don't know. I'll, it almost feels like you'll never get there. Have you experienced and felt things like that? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny you should mention that. It's So I've learned just very recently that what you're describing is something called the gap. Mm, um, that's Seth Godin, and, right? Um, I didn't hear it from Seth Godin. I heard it from a guy named Ira Glass, mm. who um, is a, 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 big, um, a big name in um, NPR. He's been a voice for them for a long time. And the way that he talks about it is um, it's anybody doing anything creative, right? Um, and for whatever reason, you'll find that when you start off, the stuff that you're doing is not as good as what you'd like it to be. And you know this because you're creative and something about all creatives is that we, ha we all have good taste. That's kind of what propels us into doing this. And so when when what you're doing doesn't match your taste, that's the gap. And, you know, for most people, it'll last for a couple years of making stuff where, where um, you're like working up gradually to get um, what you're making to be what you envision, you know, and to like narrow that that gap. And it's it's tough. Like there's no way around it. It's just... You just have to do the work. Um, you just have to make stuff, and I I've encountered that too. Like it's it's the second you start making stuff, because you have taste, you open the doors for criticism. Like you said, like it's you know, and the more you make, um, 
the more opportunity you have to self-criticize. So my experience with that has been like crippling at times. You know, like I, I want to, I, I have this, this idea in my head and it's, you know, the, that's something that I have no shortage of is, is ideas, <laughs> which is another part of like self-criticism is like whenever I don't fulfill one of those ideas, I feel like, oh God, like what am I doing with my life? I should have not spent last night watching Netflix. But yeah, every, every time I come up with an idea, I want it to be of a certain quality because I see what other people are doing and I see what's possible with what exists in the world right now. And I'm like, I can do that. I want to do that. I feel like this thing that I have is, is good enough for that kind of treatment. And then when it's not there, inevitably I will have that pang of, you know, your stomach, your stomach drops out and, and you feel like you, you failed, to put it simply. Okay, I want to go back to something you said about I completely agree and resonate with a lot of what you're saying. Um, one of the things I really resonate with is the solution to some of this uh, lessening uh, or closing of the gap is just to do, is to make. Well, in our case, and I kind of want to go back to see if we can um, remember some of these make like things that you made, right? But I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of people out there who, like an opportunity hasn't arisen for them to have a reason to make. Does that make sense? Like we want to we want to do this, we want to do that, but we're sort of waiting for people to either give us permission or we're waiting for people to say like, I need you to do this thing. Or in a musical context, I feel it's like someone hiring you for a gig or an audition wait, opening up or, you know, a mm -hmm. student saying, I want to take lessons with you. Like it's oftentimes based in somebody else uh, asking you. Um, so I'm curious for your thoughts on that and then for your thoughts on what it might look like to take a little bit of ownership or charge and create without another person in mind, what does that look like for you? Sure. So, <clears throat> man, as you were as you were asking that question, my my answer just kept getting like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the universe. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, so. Here's here's my my feelings on this is is and this is from personal experience. Um, I spent a lot of time over the last few years um, not creating things and pursuing a career uh, elsewhere. You know, I I I don't need to get super specific about it, but it was you know I was pursuing like a, a day job with a, a pretty big company. Uh, and feeling pretty good about that, but it there was still something missing, you know. And I wasn't creating things, and I I kind of knew that the two were were linked. And I think what I discovered from that whole experience, because obviously I'm I'm creating a lot now, um, and I, I I don't feel like that same thing is missing, even if what I'm creating isn't necessarily, you know, the the height of my capability. But I still feel better i think because when i create things and i put something out into the world i have a better sense of who i am as a person and it's um there's no i don't need involvement from anybody else to tell me about that um and so it's the purest form to me of like 
I don't know, self-recognition or like um, knowing myself is to just create and then see what came out. And just that alone um, makes, it, it helps me, I think, establish myself better in my, my own sense of my identity uh, to just witness that process. Um, and doing it over and over and over again um, helps me feel like even more secure in in that sense, you know, because I when when you're when you're creating, you're I, and I think you've talked about flow state in the past on this podcast. You know, you get into that flow state and you 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 get out of that realm of thinking about stuff. And when you're not thinking about stuff, you remove your your you know your logical framework from from it. You're you're f- more free to see what's underneath and to see you and that in my experience is is going to be a truer representation of where you're at than anything else so i think that's that's the first part of the question is i think it just it helps with establishing your identity as a creative to just create and see what comes out and then as far as getting past the need for um what would be the word? Get, getting getting past that need for for somebody else to 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 kickstart the project for you or to like provide the the need for something to be created is also something that I've struggled with. Um, and I you know I don't know why why that is necessarily like why I tend to value what I create more when it's in the context of somebody else's idea or project. Um, I know that I can make a living doing that, you know, waiting for other people to have projects and then providing a, um, a, a service or a, a skill to them to help that project come to c- completion. But um, it really doesn't, like doing that means that I'm not creating, you know? So... I don't know, man. Uh, that's that's a really tough question. Is that what 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 are your thoughts on that? Like, what what do you do to get over that hump of waiting for somebody else to be like, "Hey, can you make this?" Yeah, I'm a very big believer that you cre- you should create the work that you want to do. And so, for example, with video production, um, you know, I I. I I saw like what YouTubers were doing. And so I bought a camera and I started trying to emulate that. And you realize how much harder it is, how easy they make it look and how much harder it is to do that. And then in terms of like maybe video interview style videos, well, I had a strong desire to learn how to do that because I think there's money in it, but also I'm just interested in the the concept of telling someone's story through video. Like that's what this podcast is. And it's been that way, maybe not consistently, but that's generally what this podcast is, trying to tell people's stories just in long form content. Uh, but in terms of video, you know, I wanted to learn how to do the interview thing. So the first step is I needed to buy a second camera, right? So I, I, I like talked to Kathleen. I was like, hey, like, I think we should buy a second camera because I'd like to do interviews. And and there are other reasons that she was like, yeah, that's cool. So we got a second camera. And now I'm here with two cameras, a little bit of understanding and knowledge and nothing in front of me, right? So I just reached out to my son's teacher 
And I said, hey, I really think Wilder of Education is awesome. Do you want to create some video content together? For I'll do it for free because I want that experience. And that's how I've always approached it, that the experience is worth more than money for me right now. Someday, when the gap closes, that will not be true. I won't need the experience. It's the same thing as performing. Like, I don't feel I need performing experience to the degree where I would just like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. I just need this. I'll go do it for free or whatever. Like, I've gotten a lot of performing in my life. I'm good. But I don't have that with video production. Maybe someday in the future, I will feel that way. But I'm looking, I basically seek out opportunities from people that I know. And I'm like, I'll do this for free because I want the the thing, but I know I can do a good job. And I think that's where my my focus has shifted from like, I'm going to create this thing that's going to like make you guys a ton of money to I want an opportunity to work as hard as I possibly can and see what happens. Because that's the only time where you're going to figure out what you don't know is if you do everything that you do know how to do and then you look at what's there and you're like, why does this not look like other people's stuff? And you start to di dissect a little bit. So with this, like I said, with this video content, it's just basically trying, for me, I've been trying to reach out and say, where can I go to start practicing this kind of thing? And the biggest reason I asked this question, I'll throw it back to you. The biggest reason I asked this question was because like my podcast would be an example, right? Like I reached out to you for you to master my podcast. But I didn't just do that only because you're my friend. Like, that's awesome. But I have lots of friends who are not mastering my podcast, right? I reached out to you because I knew I knew your work, right? I knew what you were capable of doing. And, and I was coming up to a wall in my ability to produce my content. I remember having this conversation with you and you're like, what you're talking about is mastering and it's a whole another thing. And I was like, well, can I learn to do that? Because I'm a self-starter. And you're like, well, you could, but I've been doing it for 15 years. So that's kind of what you're looking at here. And then I basically knew your work. So the work that you had created previously that did not get you paid for anything, right? You just did it because you were like in a band and you wanted to, led you to a place where your skills were such that I was like, I would like you to... Um, work on my podcast and master my podcast. Now, you're not making a full-time living from me by any means, but you are getting paid for the work that you're doing now. And I think that's a beautiful representation of this kind of question of like, you created with only joy in mind for a long time and that honed your skills to the point where someone might see you and say, I want to pay you for your work. Yeah, so what you're talking about right now is actually the, really the impetus for the current incarnation of my recording studio, right? Epiphany recording studio. The space that I'm trying to create here is one where it's, so it's, it's, it's one of mutual respect, right? It's one where I want people that want to make stuff to come in and to be more focused on making something than, you know, making a name for themselves. I want it I want it to be more focused on making something than making making a name. Um and it's it's a pretty vulnerable space I think to be able to do that. So the fact that you've been able to like, you know, basically master the trumpet and move on to something else puts you in a super vulnerable space with like video production because you have to be like, look, I don't, I'm not an expert here. I don't know everything and I still want to, to do something, right? And the only way to fulfill that 
desire to do something is to go out there and find people that aren't looking to make a name for themselves, right? Like if, if they put themselves first, then the work's not necessarily going to happen. So aside from wanting to like, you know, record and mix and master and otherwise just like create a good product, I really want to try and make more of that time in which everybody is kind of beyond themselves and just focused on making something. Um, and it's, you know, it's not something that has been common to uh, recording studios, certainly, like ever. I don't know if, you know, I think you've had some experience walking into a recording studio where, you know, it's you walk in and it's like pretty flashy and there might be a, a receptionist or something and they've got, you know, like gold records on the wall or whatever and you keep walking through the, the hallways and they've got, uh, you know, a big control room with like a giant console and uh, everything's like perfectly shiny and the wood is just looks so good and you walk into the recording space and it's a huge room and it, you know you, you can record anything in here and they've got electronics running through all the walls and patch bays and it's it's overwhelming i think to to walk into a space like that and to to be like this is where i'm going to create something i've had the experience of walking into a recording studio and feeling like there is too much going on here and i don't feel i don't feel that that creative tug you know whatever whatever that that pull is that says hey i am something and i want to come out of you create me um i've walked into recording studios and not felt that so i want with this studio to create a space where like people can feel like they're you know walking into a friend's house and they're gonna just make goofy stuff for an afternoon <laughs> right yeah um and the cool part is that you know i'm not a um i'm not a 16 year old kid who has no idea what he's doing anymore i'm you know in my 30s i'm i think i'm gonna be a dad soon um hello i yeah um, I, I, I've been doing this for, for a long time now. And so even if we're just goofing off, we're going to get something that's way better than, than what we would have gotten, you know, at the beginning of this whole process, we're going to get something that is presentable or like viable in a market, uh, or professional or, or whatever, but it's going to stem from, uh, from goofing around. It's going to stem from like having a good time. It's going to stem from, from all, you know, all the seconds that we spend together in a room using our skills to make something and liking that time and, and liking every single one of those seconds. Yeah. I have a few thoughts. I think that's beautiful. Um, one of the thoughts that crossed my mind is, I spent a lot of my time th in my head thinking about different ideas that could be cool and they could work and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, collaboration is what breeds 
like actually some of this coming to fruition, right? Like I can live in my head, but it's hard to know. So you find people you trust and you talk to them, bounce ideas off of them. For me, that's a very important part of my process actually is to talk to Kathleen. I I think she's very annoyed by it by this point because I don't think she realized that it would be nonstop, you know? But this idea that I have this, I have this idea and I've run through all, all of my head. Now I have to like get it out and I got to talk to somebody about it because I need to actually see if this is a real thing or not to somebody else, you know? And so the idea of collaboration, bringing the best out of what the thing is supposed to be, I think is kind of what you're speaking to. I think it's beautiful. And I also think too that in many ways, the person who has created their product that they want to, you know, record uh, is an expert in that. But like, being able to use a recording studio as a tool, as a creative tool, and the tools that you have, uh, I think is also very valid in terms of taking what that thing is and bringing it to the best presentation possible. This is like what really inspires me about things like Stephen Wilson, is it's like the production is like part of the presentation. It's not just, it's like you can hear all of these little things and that's part of what it is. And so I think, you know, you being the expert, right, in terms of being a recording engineer and knowing how all of these tools can serve the music making and enhance the music making of the other means that this collaboration is relatively necessary to get the best possible product if somebody's open to it, like you described. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, for for a person walking in here, it, and I say this on the website, like, we, we both have to be vulnerable in this space. Like I have to give all of me and you have to give all of you. And for a person walking in here, you, you really got to get rid of that ego and, and know that, like know the part that you're playing in this space. Um, because my part is almost always going to be using these, these tools of engineering to take your idea and make it into something extraordinary. Um, and, and, you know, simultaneously I have to let go of my ego and let go of any attachment to the idea that I might develop and be like, this is not my idea. This is not my project. I am here to play this specific role. I am here to enhance uh, something that has been brought to me, or I'm here to enhance something that we've created together. And um, that takes a lot of effort because there's a lot of ego wrapped up in that too. You know, like it, I, I could very easily slip into this uh, um, way of thinking where I feel like it's, it is now like my project and I feel invested in it. And um, the second that that happens, um, things, things start to go south. Like the, you know, creativity kind of kind of stops at that point and you become worried about where this thing is going instead of excited about making more. Yeah, it's like you're talking about the ego kind of coming to the front stops the ability to just be open. You know, it's interesting you're what you what you're describing to me sounds like anybody can hit record. I can hit record, you know. So if someone comes to you and wants to work with you, it's like they are looking to hire a creative partner for a part of the process in the creation of this final product almost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so I, <clears throat> I get to hear my, my wife on zoom calls all day long and she works in a pretty, uh, let's say corporate kind of structure. 
Um, and I hear them throwing around all kinds of all kinds of interesting terms. And one of them that they throw around is is thought partner. This is like something that somebody, you know, who doesn't necessarily want to start a whole meeting with people, but like needs some help can just like reach out and be like, hey, I need a thought partner in this. Which it, you know, it it sounds a bit ridiculous to I me, totally but it, it. It, it's it's also like very descriptive. Yeah. It like lets somebody know who's are who's already like working on something that day that like you just need somebody to bounce stuff off of. Totally. Um, and that that's absolutely what I'm trying to offer here is like thought engineer. coming well yeah yeah you know um just and i and I, you know i've done this with uh i've done this with musicians i've done this with writers um i've done this with with all manner of of creative people and it's just it's just amazing to me sometimes what can come out of um just like total absence of ego and um complete collaboration of thought you know that you always get the best possible product if you can manage to to do those things. So when I go to your website, the very first thing, at least as it is right now, is that definition of epiphany, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I think, I mean, I know that I had a part in it, but uh, yeah, that was that was just your idea. <laughs> I showed I showed it to <laughs> Kathleen, and she's like, "That's very Brandon," you know. That's like very. And I'm kind of curious because you chose a different definition of epiphany than I did, right? Like I was like, this is what I think and you chose a different one and used it. So I'm kind of curious if you want to read the definition of epiphany that you chose and talk about why you feel like that is. Because I think we all have an idea of what an epiphany is, but I feel like to understand how you think about it and how you're using it could help us understand your intention that much more. Sure. So I actually had to go to the website to remember the exact wording of <laughs> what I put up there. But the definition of epiphany that I used is the experience of a sudden and striking realization. Um, and so let's break that down a little bit. The, the first um, kind of operative word of that definition is the experience. So experience. Um, I want... Everything that happens to people that walk in the doors of Epiphany Recording Studio to have a full experience and to experience everything that's happening to them, to be able to experience everything that's happening with me, and to experience uh, the, the collaborative effort, right? To experience whatever it is we're creating. Um, and along the way, if they have sudden and striking realizations, I will have already made the room for those realizations to be part of our process. Um, because I really value those kinds of moments. Um, and I really value I really value what they feel like and the importance to us as humans to like have epiphanies and have them be sudden and striking and, um, I also value what they bring to the creative process. Uh, and, you know, they can be really, really fleeting because they are sudden, you know? Um, and if you don't take a hold of them as they're happening, you can lose something really important. Yeah. So having having the space for that is 
it's really important to me to have that space, and it's also a very delicate space to create. So, um, yeah, it sounds like you're speaking to a very not like a specific person, but you're not speaking to someone like a lot of recording on my side of the way that I see it is somebody has written something and you are just like recording it and putting it down. This does not sound like that's what you're looking to do. You're looking to to someone who has ideas of what they want to create and they maybe even have the capacity to get it down, but then they're looking for a creative partner to say like, well, what could you bring to this that might enhance what it is, not change it, but to enhance the vision of what it is so that it's more of a, we are, it's like an actual creation versus like it has been created and we are documenting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially like getting started with collaboration earlier in the creative process, right? And because certainly, you know, somebody can send me something or like walk into this room and I can just press record and we can record and that's it. But ideally, you know, we would have already been talking about what it is we're going to record and uh, we'll have refined it more together. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really just like, like I said, getting started earlier in the creative process with collaboration and not, not being afraid to do that. Because that's, you know, that's more vulnerable space of being like, hey, like you said, I have this idea and I have to bounce it off somebody else to see if it's a real thing to somebody else. And yeah. there's always the fear of rejection in that. And like, that sucks. Yeah. But, you know, get used to it. Like that's, <laughs> that's the main thing that's going to stop you from making stuff is if you can't have an idea, throw it out there and then get rejected. So one sort of problem I foresee, and this is, exacerbated in our current time, but it would still be a problem is, you know, my listenership is all over the United States and even all over the world, right? But Epiphany Recording Studios is located in California. So how does someone who lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, hear what you're saying and say, that's awesome, I'm interested? Like, what does that collaboration look like in a virtual space rather than like face-to-face? -face? Yeah, so this is something that you're, is a roadblock um, or a problem, like you said, but not insurmountable because we live in 2021 and we have the internet and we have things like Zoom and um, all sorts of virtual collaboration software. And it, you know, I, I, the way that this can be most successful virtually is if um, you're not afraid to like pull up Zoom and just like have an empty room in Zoom for a while, you know? Cause like this process isn't like, it's not like getting on a meeting where there's an agenda and you know, it moves really fast and there's never any dead air. It's not like a live broadcast where like dead air is the enemy. It just means like pulling up Zoom, um, being there and then not being afraid to like, just be on Zoom thinking together silently for a little while, you know? Or like just, moving really slowly with things. Um, and the biggest hurdle of that is if we're doing something like musical and we want to like play together, that's the one thing that we really can't do virtually yeah. is like play in time together because, you know, the audio is transmitted over a, a whole network and there's lag and, and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, we can record things and send them to each other while we're still on the Zoom call. And it it slows the process down a little bit, but I don't think the process suffers 
uh, from that slowing down, you know? Um, and a lot of times can, can even be enhanced by that slowing down because we're forced to take more time with, with our ideas. So, you know, let's, let's say I wanted to collaborate with somebody in Lincoln. We'd jump on a Zoom call. We'd have like a good block of time set aside to do this and just be like, all right, let's make something. And then we'd get to the end of our block of time and we'd each take it our separate ways and we'd both continue making something with it. And even if we make totally different things in that second step, we still come back and we'd be like, all right, this is what I made. This is what you made. Like, how do we take the best parts of that and make another thing all together, right? So it's just this, this process of like coming together and separating and coming together again and separating again and finally coming together until we, we have something that, that we're both happy with and we're both excited about, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting model. I mean, I, I was going to ask you if you had sort of a, a way of talking about what it looked like to work together, but you obviously already answered that. It's an interesting model too, because then like you just have, like, do you see limits to your ability to how many te- people you could do this with? Because you only have like, enough, like if everybody is working with you, they're working with one person, but you're mm-hmm. working with like a bunch. And so I'm sure that your brain at a certain point would be like, I can't do this anymore. So like, oh, yeah, are there totally. light versions of what this could look like? Or are there just can, like, do you, would you imagine doing something where someone's like, I have this idea and I'm stuck and I just need to talk to somebody who is a creative, who is like open to this idea of how we could possibly work through this? Like what ways are there where it's maybe not, like the full-on process, but they could still get some of what you're um, what you're about. Yeah, uh, part of that looks like um, getting other people involved. You know, like if somebody just wants to like get some thoughts in an area that I feel like I don't have any expertise on, I can be like, "Well, I can't help you out, but I know this other person that can." Um, and at that point. You know, maybe it looks like me stepping away from the project altogether and and just like letting letting these two continue on and then maybe getting involved again later later down the line. Um, again, it's it's that like letting go of ego, letting go of this like, you know, I am the engineer on this project kind of thing. Yeah. and like letting letting the thing be what it needs to be. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't always have to be me, but I you know I know that there is value in like using, um, or or um, being with the same people on a project through through you know from start to finish. But also you know I've seen um, projects turn out really poorly with with that model. So it's you know we we just have to be aware of where the thing is at all times. And not be afraid to like step back from it or to like let it go or to bring somebody else in or to, you know, it's, it's a constantly evolving conversation that has to serve the work and serve the, the material rather than serve us. Sure. So we've been talking for a, a length of time just about like the epiphany side of what you do, but you obviously, you kind of briefly mentioned this, you obviously understand 
how to like hit record and get good, you know, good results that way too. <laughs> so you do do regular functions of a recording studio if that's someone's desire. You just also would like to expand it into like we could offer this other thing to create this um, new space, like you're saying, to kind of see like maybe I don't know exactly what I want and I kind of want to just see where it can go. Um, you master my podcast. So obviously those kinds of services, you basically do recording, editing, mastering, mixing, like all of the services that somebody could want. And um, I mean, you guys, if you want to check out, there's an episode Brandon did a num. I don't even know how long ago. Was, uh, yeah, like last year. Yeah, man. sometime last year where he, he actually just went through mastering one of my episodes. Uh, so you can kind of hear uh, in that episode, he ran it and he, just like what he would do. But, um, you know, it's like kind of interesting to me. It's like a recording studio, but actually the main focus, if you could have it your way, would just be on this like creative side because it scratches that creative itch for you as well. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I think, you know, at this point, like, rec man, this whole process of recording and like, you know, making a, an, a product of audio has been, I feel like it's been a really mysterious thing from the perspective of an outside observer for a really long time. And the more I get into it, the more that that confuses me. Like, why does this have to be such, why does this have to have this level of, of mystique surrounding it? You know, it's, 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 a science. It's measurable. It's uh, you know. It's not something that that can't be um, learned about by you know the average person. It's sound. It's something that you know most of us have a, a very intimate relationship with. Um, who 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 can um, perceive sound? And um, why 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 for mystique? You know, like so. I I think that that era of the music industry or the the audio production industry is over or should should be done with um, that that has been a huge barrier to um, creation for you know since the the fifties when when it really started to become commercial um, and you know I've learned. And I'm still learning everything that I can about this process to be able to to do the best work that I can. And uh, I don't want to hide any of that from anybody. You know, I, I don't, I because because truly, like hitting the record button should not be a big part of the process. You know, or or like setting. Um, Setting a microphone in a certain place should not be a big part of the process. It just seems to like take away from 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 having ideas if if you have to like wait on a specialist to set up your microphone or to you know yeah there's and there's there's all kinds of examples of that throughout the whole process. So like yeah, I can do all of that, what I consider to be like the regular parts of the process, I can teach somebody else to do that. But who's to say that having that knowledge is going to, to give us anything more than what we had before, right? Mm -hmm. Like we yeah. want to make something that is an expression of something and knowing how to hit record is not 
necessarily going to give us that. Yeah, totally. Well, dude, if somebody's interested, what do they do? So you can find me on uh, my website, uh, epiphanyrecordingstudio.com. And uh, there's an, uh, um, a contact page there that, that goes directly to my um, company email address. And uh, I, I usually respond to that um, within, within one day. So that's a good way to contact me. And then um, I'm also on Facebook. I, th- I think I've made my profile public at this point. <laughs> I had it like super duper private for a long time, but um, I think I've changed that. And that's, uh, I'm Brandon R. Yoakum on Facebook. If I'm not incorrect, that stands for Ryan. It does stand for Ryan. What if my middle name was Brandon? That would be My middle initials not B. It's not B. No, your last initials B. Yeah, I got confused. So yeah, check him out at epiphanyrecordingstudio.com. And then he's on Instagram too, but it's like that brand Jose life or something like that, right? Oh, yeah, but we've moved to Santa Cruz at this point, so now it's that Branta Cruz Yeah, life. right, so you can check them out there, but probably the website's going to be the most official-looking yeah, version of that. Yeah, yeah, I think my Instagram is more for, like, photos of surfing and flowers and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if you have any needs whatsoever, I mean, like I said, Brandon and I, there is an element of creativeness about what he and I are doing, um, but it's very service based, like what what the work that he does for me. And I will say it's been amazing to watch Brandon grow. You know, like it's kind of what we were talking about. He, you do everything you possibly can do to be ready for that first time somebody pays you. But then when you're actually doing it, you, of course, you're going to learn even more and even more because you have actual chances to to do it where the pressure's on, so to speak. And so it's been cool to see him grow in this capacity. And yeah, I, I find stuff regularly that like I can do to make your episodes better that I was not doing before. And also, just so we make this clear, like having a second set of ears on your audio, it's like it's the reason why it's worth the money beyond like it sounding that much better, which is absolutely why. I mean, there's I can't count the number of episodes I've sent you something. I mean, we've said this before where you're like, I don't know why but the volume on the episode just gets progressively quieter till you can't hear it over the course of 40 <laughs> minutes. You should probably look at that. <laughs> like, oh, I just left a, like a node down there or something. Or, you know, yesterday yeah. you were saying, just, I had just forgotten to put the outro music where it goes. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I had to cut out like a second of silence before it jumped up. So, yeah. at any rate, it's just... Like stuff like that. I mean, those regular services. But then if you're also a creative and you're looking to bounce some ideas off of somebody else who's also looking to do that and you're sort of connecting with the concepts that the concepts that Brandon's talking about, you should reach out and 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 just contact him and see see what you guys can do together. I think what we should do is tell some funny stories for a little bit and then we can wrap this up. Yeah, dude. Um yeah. I also have a story about um uh, why the studio is named Epiphany, if you're interested in hearing oh, about yeah. that. Sorry, I didn't, I guess I should have. Um, yeah, yeah, fire it up. Um, all right, so this, it, this could potentially be a long story. So if it starts getting long, just like prompt me to continue I'm not going to stop but, you. This is okay, on, okay. It's on you. All right, well, here we go. Um, this, this story happened when I was living in Denver, which I lived in Denver... Um, for about six years. And 
I, this was during that period of time that I was talking about where I was like, you know, working a nine to five and like trying to focus on my career and working for this big company and et cetera, et cetera. And um, I was very depressed. And I was depressed and like didn't know that that's what was happening. And um, it got to a point where, let's see, this was, this would have been my 29th birthday. So my 29th birthday rolls around and three days later was the weekend and I was going to celebrate uh, with, with some, some friends and, and coworkers. And I get home that day and I'm like preparing for the party and it's like an hour before the party starts, I start getting texts that like people are canceling. They're just like, hey, I can't make it, you know, for whatever reason. And Everybody ended up canceling. Every single person that I invited had canceled. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was like pretty upset about it. Not, not from the standpoint of like, you know, now I'm going to have this party and there's not going to be anybody here. But from the standpoint of like, I feel so alone right now. Mm. And like, why do I feel so alone? And um, even, even, you know, the girl that I was dating at the time, like, she was right there and I still felt super alone. And I, I fell into this like immediate, um, just like massive, I don't know what to call it. Like I got so depressed at that night in, in, in that moment and like could barely move, you know? Um, I don't think I've ever been that depressed in my life where like literally I could not move my body. Um, and my, my, um, my girlfriend was trying frantically to like get me out of it. And it, it was clearly something that had been building for a very long time, you know, um, because I, st I just started like feeling like my life had been, it, it was so dramatic. It was just unbelievably like drama the whole night. Um, and I can finally like look back on that and, and kind of laugh about it or like talk about it with a smile on my face. But at the time it was, it was really awful. Sure. Sounds pretty um, horrible. So <laughs> I'll stop talking about how horrible it was That's now. That's fine. I just... Um, and it was very horrible. Uh, so she's trying frantically to like get me out of this. And I'm, I'm just like muttering stuff about like how my... I don't remember what I was saying. Like my whole life is like a series of like unrealized moments and stuff like that. And I just, I, the only thing playing through my head was like how, how terrible of a person I was. And, um, I just didn't see, I didn't see a future for myself in that moment. I like, no matter where I looked in my head, I was like, there's no future for me. I, I hate what I'm doing. I have like lost this creative drive that I once had and I don't know where it went and, uh, nobody can help me. So this goes on for maybe like an hour and eventually I remember this very vividly. Like I have reached the point where like I'm actually just like shutting down and like cannot talk or move or anything. And I remember my girlfriend asked me, what do you want? And like that kind of pinged around in my head for, a, for like a, a good minute. And I realized suddenly that like, especially from that space, of like such little energy, I could do 
anything that I wanted at that moment. And I looked across the room and I think you, you'll you remember this room in that house I used to live in in Denver where we had like the piano and like all the speakers and we'd go back there and, and um, listen to music whenever you'd visit. And um, I looked across the room at that piano and I just had this sudden idea that like right now I want to go over to that piano and sit down and teach you about music and like why it makes us feel things. And so I did. I like walked over there and I had my girlfriend sit next to me and I like started talking about, uh, you know, the um, 12 note scales and about how we can form these eight note scales out of them and how if you use this note instead of that note, it feels happy rather than sad, like really simple music theory, you know. And through doing that, um, I suddenly, I, I started playing this this piece that I had been working on um, that was kind of a, a tribute to my my grandmother and um, just like played it the most amazingly I had ever played it before. Like it's not anything crazy on the piano. I'm not a pianist by any means, but um, it, it was just one of those moments where like I probably had the best performance of my life and like there's only this one person there to witness it in this like quiet moment in the back of the house. And... Um, I finished that and like let out a breath and I should also mention that I had been like physically sick for like two or three years before that and it had been getting worse and it was something that like I didn't have a diagnosis for and like nobody could tell me what was going on and it created like all of these like feelings of pain in my body. So in this moment on this piano bench, after I let out this breath, all of that stuff just like disappeared all of a sudden. It was really freaky um, to like feel all of that tension and stress from like years of uncertainty just go away. And that was, that was an epiphany, <clears throat> that whole series of events, like the epiphany of like, walking over to the piano and doing something that I really wanted to do in the moment and feeling like I had the power to do that. Uh, feeling like no matter how sick or depressed I was, nothing was going to stop me from going to do that thing that I wanted. And then feeling all of that, you know, years of, of um, pain and tension just stop all at once. Um, everything became clear. Suddenly, it was, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I feel like what I had was a religious experience in that moment. Um, what, what people that, that are religious describe as religious experiences. And it was, to this day, the strangest thing that's ever happened to me, but is, you know, kind of the impetus for everything that I do now is that it's, you know, no matter how bad things get, it's still possible for, for you to, to be okay. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I mean, I recognize some parts of that story, but I don't think I've heard the whole thing straight through. That's not what I meant by funny stories, though. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that was a story that I, I wanted to tell uh, because we were going to talk about Epiphany yeah, Recording yeah, yeah. Studio. No, I think it's... So, like, like that's... Uh, I think it's a very important story, actually, because it obviously frames your understanding of, like, what you what you're seeking, just ideally more of that if possible. Yeah, yeah. 
but um, you're right. It's not a funny story. You know what story? It is a little bit funny. You know what story has come? I came to my mind. Brandon and I. He came over to my house one time, and the girl I was dating at the time. This is in Lincoln. The girl I was dating at the time. She was like flying in from Lincoln, and we were sort of like waiting. I was waiting for her to get there, and it was like she's gonna get there at six, and it was like two o'clock. And Brandon and I loved playing Perfect Dark, which is like the spiritual successor to GoldenEye 007. It's one of the greatest games that's ever been made. If you don't agree with that, I'm sorry. You're just incorrect. Uh, but Perfect Dark, I we love to play because instead of having to play each other, you could just shoot computer opponents. And um, one of our favorite things to do was to name ourselves different things, but not look at the other person. And then Brandon and I would run around and try to kill each other to see who, like what the names would be um, of who killed who and, and stuff like that. In this particular instance, we had four hours to kill. And I don't know whose idea it was. It sounds like it would be my idea, an idea I would come up with. You could change the speed of the game. So we changed the speed to like 25%. And then we put the goal at like I feel like it was like 400 kills. It was it was absurd, yeah. Not ever and again. And so the game we literally took us like four hours to complete that one match against those computer players. And then we just, it's just like, that, what a complete waste of time. <laughs> you know? That's how I feel about it now. It was awesome at the time, but like, it's just like, <laughs> that's like the least productive way I could imagine using four hours of my time. Yeah, well, and it was even less productive, I think, because it did nothing to help you forget that you were waiting for this girl to get home. <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember the whole time you were just like, oh my God, what time is it? Yeah. When is she going to get here? I just want to see her. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything is what it is, right? Hindsight being twenty twenty, though, that was one of the things I feel like just caused so much of the anxiety and stress and angst in my life was just like these, the, like the relationships are good. Like the people were good people. I'm not saying anybody was wrong. It's just like, I don't think I was, should have been in any of those relationships looking back. I was not like a human <laughs> being who was ready to be in a relationship where I was like, I love you, but it seemed to happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Like I could, I could not keep up with uh, the girls that you were dating. Yeah. And like, I knew, I knew most of them. But we went to different high schools. So, like, by the time you really started dating, uh, or, like, I don't even know if you would call it dating nope. at that point, but, like, as soon as you, like, started, like, having girlfriends or having girls that you liked, uh, it seemed like there was a new one every month. It wasn't quite like that, like, but there were, there were, a, it seemed like, it, like, felt like some of these were, like, I don't know. I don't think it was that. I'm told, I feel like we can't, we should not try to paint an incorrect picture here because. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it was literally that. But like, you know, through through going to school and like doing homework and like being involved in like all, all this stuff, we didn't necessarily have that much time to hang out yeah. regularly like we, we had used to. And um, I feel like, you know, we'd hang out every, like seriously, like every few months for like long stretches of time. Mm. And whenever that happened, um, there was there was some usually somebody else, yeah. Like every every few months, you know. So there were like you know, let's say like five or six different girls. I think that I met over the course of our entire high, you know, four years of high school. Yeah, and like I mean, I know this now that 
I was just like looking for my okayness in like that. I was like, okay, like I'm dating this person. She's really cool. We get along really well. Like I, I, I feel okay now. Like I was like, I couldn't be, the concept of being like alone was like really hard for me for a really, really long time. Even if it was like stressful and we were arguing all the time, which happened in many of the relationships I was in, I still felt like I didn't know like who I was separate from that, I suppose. And that just took me forever to like actually address and figure out and basically until Jenny. Yeah. I, me- I remember having that conversation with you, like when you realized that, so much of your identity was wrapped up in um, in the relationships yeah. that you were in. And um, yeah, it was a, a big step for you, man. And you got there like basically on your own. Like I don't think anybody told you outright that like you need to figure out who you are. Or if they did, like you you didn't hear it at the time. And so- Well, you know, generally speaking, it all of those lessons were learned at exactly the same time when I didn't get tenure and I broke up with Jenny, who I was engaged yeah. to at the time for those people. That, those happened within like two or three months of each other. And so it went from like, I'm going to get tenure in this orchestra and then my fiance is going to move here and we're going to get married and this is what we're going to do to like, I don't have tenure this job. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just broke up with my, my fiance and like, what's happening with my life right now? <laughs> And yeah, that's like interesting. I remember playing a ton of Borderlands around that time, just like getting on Wi-Fi oh, yeah. calls, you know, and uh, playing Borderlands and just being like, man, things are, that's like, I suppose I would say, it's hard for me to to see it this way, but I think during Indianapolis, it's pretty clear that I was struggling with depression for sure. Just like getting hammered and watching seasons of House and like, <laughs> two days, you know, like <laughs> there was very little. I don't know, man, yeah. that, that might be looked upon as normal behavior nowadays, but um, no, it's, 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 it's funny how like when you're in it and if you like haven't seen it before in yourself, you don't necessarily know that that's what's going on, you know? And we've discussed too, think, like Nebraskans don't say like, I feel this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. That's, uh, you and I both got hit with that growing up. Yeah. Like we just, we just learned to deal with stuff, but how you doing? There's some things fine. that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the four four letter F word, fine. Yeah, that's that's the worst one of all. Yeah, so we, I mean, we you just like pushed through, yeah, and that's like how we learned how to deal with stuff. And you know, I'm sure you were thinking at the time that like you didn't know what was going to happen, but that like you were going to figure it out, no matter how well. I remember how much it took. I remember not getting tenure first, and then. Jenny and I uh, broke off our engagement. So like there was a period of time where like I basically had to reconcile if I don't have an orchestral playing job, like who am I? Am I okay, right? Because that's like all I wanted. It was my dream. And then I got it and then I lost it. And you, there's no guarantee you're going to like win another job. And so I basically remember fighting and really struggling and to come to the conclusion that if I didn't get, win a job, and there were six auditions at that time. There were six auditions, Cincinnati Principal, Fort Worth Principal, National Principal, Atlanta Utility. Um, there was one more in there. I can't remember exactly which one. And then Alabama Principal. And the Alabama one was the sixth one. So if I didn't win Alabama... I was going to have to move to Kansas City and live with Jenny. 
and I would be making no money and I would just be like hanging out, trying to support her or whatever. And I basically had come to the conclusion that like, I, that has to be okay because that's what's happening. Um, and then I won the job in Alabama and then we like, you know, broke off our engagement. And then I just like started living this life now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's weird to think it's, it's, it's weird because it does seem, I mean, it was 2014. So, you know, five, six years ago, but it seems like a literal lifetime ago that we were having those kinds of conversations and I was depressed and going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember those, uh, Playing, playing hours of Borderlands with you. Because that was also, it was lucky that at that time I was working um, this weird schedule where I was like on the night shift. Yeah. And um, so like during the days, I was just like, I'm not going to work today and I'm definitely not sleeping. So like, let's play Borderlands. And I remember just like sitting there, we'd like, yeah, do our Wi-Fi calls. And so I'd like sit there with the controller, you know, here. And then I'd like have the phone like sitting on my chest or something. <laughs> yeah. and, didn't you like, I remember that. I remember you had that night shift and you didn't like get much sleep and your health was all sorts of crazy. And then you shifted your, you got shifted to a normal sort of regular waking hours uh, shift and you, didn't you lose like 15 pounds immediately or something like that? Yeah, that was, oh man, that was such a weird time because I had no idea what was going, there was, cause there was like the long-term health issues that I was kind of talking about earlier that would eventually lead to that epiphany moment. And then there was also like all of this stuff happening because I was rapidly changing my, like my circadian rhythm and all this stuff. And yeah, I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I, <clears throat> I remember, um, I, I, my, you, you know, tinnitus or tinnitus, ringing um, in your what, ear how, yeah yeah however that's that's pronounced okay, that man. that um i had that pretty bad on night shift and that got better to a certain degree like it it lessened significantly moving to to day shift um and like i think losing all that weight probably had something to do with it but yeah just like weird stuff was happening to my body around that time and i was also like putting more effort into uh my career at that point. So yeah, lots of, lots of changes. Um, Okay. I just thought of this right now too, that I have to confront you about this and I want you to educate my audience. If for those that don't know about this, because I had, there's one of these things that I know about, but I learned about like four years ago that you're a super taster. I remember you telling Dan Carson this, I've known you my entire life and I didn't know this. So I was like, what are you talking about? You taste food more than the rest of us. Like, what is that even about? But then I read this new blog that you put out and you put that, I was like, why does that picture look like that? And then you're like, if you're wondering why this picture looks like this, it's because this is how I see the world. And I was like, what are you talking about? You see the world with grain? Like, what is happening? So I'd like you to like educate me a little bit further and possibly anybody who's never, like me, had never heard of super tasting or seeing the world with visual grain. Yeah. Um, uh, the, so, okay, let's start with the super tasting. Um this is something that I've that I have known about and has brought me a lot of uh strife but also like a lot of joy I think later in life. 
um, being a super taster. And I didn't know that it was called being a super taster until, man, like in my 20s, I think was the first time I heard it. And uh, that was the first time that I was like, oh my God, like this is a thing. I'm not just crazy and like weird and picky with foods. Because that's what it manifested as when I was a kid, right? Like eating food was a very intense experience for me as a kid. And I was a really picky eater. And um, I don't know if you remember, but I used to tell people that I was a vegetarian. Uh, yeah, this was one of the greatest mysteries of my life. You were a vegetarian, <laughs> but, I would still but eat. you ate pepperoni pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and that was like, I did, I, I didn't eat pepperoni pizza also until I was in sixth grade. So I was like 12 years old before I had my first bite of pizza. But, um, and I just decided that pepperoni pizza was going to be my favorite from then on. But, uh, um, I told people I was a vegetarian because I didn't know how to tell them I just didn't like eating food. And there was like a very slim number of foods that like I could eat and not feel sick. Uh, you know, trying to explain anything to like school age children is a nightmare. My mouth so is I told different than a, your mouth. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but and that that like wasn't a good enough answer. They'd, they'd make fun of me for being like weird mouth guy or something. Uh, so yeah, and that you know that's just it. It has definitely lessened uh, as I've grown up and like exposed my tongue to like you know really hot foods or like burned my my mouth on certain foods i feel like that's diminished it but um yeah nowadays it's nice because i can like have really good wine and really appreciate how good that wine is because i can taste all of the the little nuances in the flavor yeah um and it's also it's it's also a lot like listening to music for me because, you know, tasting a, a good wine is like, you know, you can, I, I can taste like the low frequencies of the wine and I can taste like the mid-range frequencies and the high frequencies and describe it that way. And um, so, yeah, really, you know, you didn't, you probably didn't know about it because I didn't know how to describe it to other people. And then like, as life went on, I just would start eating more and more foods Mostly because I like was tired of being that weird kid that didn't eat things. Um, yeah, you just it, like, it truly was a product of peer pressure. You just like talked about it. You were just like, "Yeah, I'm a super taster," but I was like in earshot. Like, like I, I feel like that's to me that's something like it's like your friends should know before other people you're just meeting for the first time. <laughs> like I'm coming out as a, a super taster. Yeah. And, and I'm like, gonna have... <laughs> how could you not tell me first? That's how I feel. Yeah. It's, it's about me, obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, I want you to know that I love you. And uh, I didn't, I didn't tell you because I thought that you are fragile and you couldn't take it. You're trying to protect me. I no, know. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Uh, no, it was, you know, one of those things that like I, I, I sort of like developed a way of dealing with it when I was young and then I just didn't change that. And then I eventually found out that it was called Super Taster and I was like, oh, huh, that's cool. It's very it's aptly named. Yeah, yeah, it is. And there's, you know, there's, there's all this biology behind it and like how the, you know, the, the, the they're called fungiform papillae on, on your tongue, the like little you know, dots on your tongue, how those are formed. And um, it's really interesting if anybody wants to to, to look through that. But um, right. yeah, it's stuck with me my whole life. And Okay. So then what about visual grain? Because this is new to me. 
Yeah. So the the it's called Visual Snow, and it's named after uh, like the old um, uh, like television snow that you would see on like old analog TVs when they weren't tuned to anything. And I started to notice this when I was like in my early twenties. I remember being on a plane, and and just looking out the the window and seeing the blue sky, but also seeing like these little little dots and like things moving around. And um, they were very different from like eye floaters. You know how sometimes you see like little floaties in your those, eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I've got those too, and it was this was not them because it was like a it was as if something was like overlaid on the sky, and I could I could really only see it when I was looking at that solid blue color. Um, but as the years went by, I started to notice it more and more until um, it got to a point where I was like, okay, this is like actually like part of my vision now is. I when I look at the smallest details of things, especially in the periphery of my vision, it's it's like it's grainy, you know. Like if you like take a picture of something in the dark and the black comes out like snowy and grainy, but it's it's not um, it's not it's also not quite like that, you know. It's it's really difficult to describe and to explain because it's yes, it does look like television snow, but it also doesn't it's like a lot more dynamic than that and there's like colors that move through it and uh um you know it's not consistent throughout the day and it's not even consistent like in the full field of my vision it's 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 alive almost um it's 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 its own thing and it uh i don't know it's weird it's 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 super rare uh i can't find a lot of information on it but there are other people that experience this and it seems to be tied to ringing in the ears. So I kind of think of it like ringing, ringing in the eyes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird thing that uh, sometimes makes me feel really trapped in my own head because I can't escape it. And um, sometimes it's kind of cool because it um, it provides this layer of really interesting visuals to to what I'm seeing on a daily basis. And it's you know fortunately so far it's like it hasn't gotten to the point where it's disruptive. Like especially if I'm like driving, you know, if I'm really focused on something, it it seems to lessen. Uh, but. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's 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 like I said on the on this the blog site that I made. It um, it I I've written a lot because of it. I think I think that's enough for today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I appreciate your your um. Honestly, I just appreciate you being open and vulnerable. It's chill. It's like when you say, like, I am trying to create a space in my studio where it requires vulnerability and us to be able to drop our egos, and then you spend an hour and a half being vulnerable. It pretty much backs up that that's like what you're about and you're real with it. So uh, I, I really appreciate um, your willingness to do that. Um, we already mentioned Epiphany Recording Studio with no S, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and also not Epiphany Studios because that there are other uh, 
non-me entities calling themselves Epiphany Studios. So epiphanyrecordingstudio.com. So check them out there. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do so at that'snotspit.com and also at That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review on iTunes and don't forget to share it on social media. Brandon, thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it. You're, you're very welcome, Robot Ryan. Um, thanks so much for, for uh, giving, giving me the space to talk about all this. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, obviously, of course, always great talking with you. Yeah, man. Uh, I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Always remember, stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 that's not spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. This is your friendly neighborhood mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, and I'm here not to promote myself, but to ask if you would stop by the That's Not Spit Facebook page or hit up at That's Not Spit on Instagram and give your host, Ryan Beach, a hearty congrats on over 100 episodes. It's only through the support of listeners like you that great shows like this one can be made. And please consider sending a donation to the show at that's not spit.com slash support. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in and shh, don't tell Ryan.